Amos chapter number 7 this evening. Amos chapter number 7. We'll look at verses number 7 through 9 real quickly. Uh, and then we'll give you a little overview of what the book of Amos is all about in a short message. And I, I promise you, I know what time it is. And I know that I've been accused of being long-winded. So I will try to not be long-winded tonight. So we'll be good. Amen, Brother Earl. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amos chapter number 7, verse number 7. The Bible says this, Thus... He showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall and made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what we've already felt this evening. Lord, we thank you for uh, these fine folks that will be going uh, to Scotland. Lord, I pray you'd touch Brother Chris and Sister Natalie. Lord, I pray you'd lead and guide and direct them. But God, right now, Lord, I pray you'd just touch me right now. Lord, I pray you'd use us. Lord, I pray you would uh, hide us behind the cross and give us unction from on high with the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, guard my mouth and my mind as I preach this evening. Lord, let the people hear what they would, you would have them to hear. And Lord, let me say what you would have me to say. Lord, I pray you'd help us, God, as we go through and we see these uh, truths that are in your Bible. And God, as we touch these minor prophets, God, we thank you for what we've already heard. And Lord, we thank you, God, for what we're here tonight. And Lord, we thank you for what you've given to us in the future. Because we know that you've given your word to each and every one of us, every word of it, for our profit and for our good. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So as we've gone through these minor prophets, and I really truly, the Lord has put on my heart to be able to go through these only Wednesday nights, and, and I thank God that we have a church that gives us the liberty to be able to do that. I'm not instructed on to what to preach on. I thank God that our pastor just gives us liberty to say, whatever God gives you liberty to preach on, you just preach on that. And you folks are good folks to be able to sit and to listen, to be able to what God has given to us. And I thank God that he's done this and laid this on our hearts. Because there are so many times where we get into ruts, we get into places where we read the Bible in the same places, and we don't get to some of those places that we're not as familiar with. We're not as comfortable with some of those places. And that tends to be a problem, let's just be real honest. If we really truly would take the whole counsel of the Word of God, like the Word of God tells us to, and how God's Word tells us to, then we would be going from... Genesis to Revelation. And I know that there are some preachers, and to be honest with you, we some of us like to preach in the New Testament. Some of us like to preach in the Old Testament. Some of us like to be in the Psalms and the Proverbs, and there are special places. And all of us will probably have our books that mean something to us. I personally love the book of Daniel. I love the book of Romans. I'm so thankful for those uh, books. I love the book of Revelation. Those are special books. I love those. I study those a good bit. But I, Brother Ray, am to vote to also read and to study the whole Word of God. So I want to challenge you, and we've used this to challenge each and every one of us to be able to actually study into and get into these words. And as we look at the book of Amos, we say, well, what do we know about Amos and what do we know? Well, Amos among the prophets is a man that's not really considered a professional. 
Some people actually called him the farmer prophet. Why? Because we would even say in today's terms that Amos was a bivocational preacher, prophet. He is not necessarily one that was raised as a prophet and was one in the profession of a prophet. Now, that's very important for you to remember as we go into this study in the book of Amos. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, we'll get to that in just a few moments. But he was not the professional. He had not been trained in a certain way. But thank God that God can use whoever he wants, however he desires. And he was a faithful man. You say, well, what did he do, Brother Shane? Well, according to chapter number 7 in our text, the verses and, uh, are about the plumb line. But if you go down to verses number 14 and 15, he actually tells you that I was not a prophet, not a prophet of all. I was actually a, a man that was a husbandman of a, a sycamore tree or, or fruit uh, orchard. I cared for cattle. I cared for sheep. I cared for those things. And as a matter of fact, Brother Mike, you get into the details of the words that are used. It was actually, he was an owner. He was actually a very affluent man that was not just one that cared for them, but he was an owner of them and knew how to care for them as well. (laughs) Getting excited already. Hallelujah. It's Bible study. But he owned them. He cared for them in such a way. He knew what their needs were and he knew what needed to happen. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes there are people that get out of touch. It's because they haven't experienced what other people have experienced. You put yourself in a bubble and you can't figure out how to get out of that bubble. But yet God's word tells us, get out. Tell others. Experience uh, what what the word of God is telling us to do. And this came at a time where there was a lot of sin. There was great sin in the people of Israel. And although he was from Judah... Because in the first verse of of Amos, he actually tells us the first verse that he was from Judah, a little city there. But he was actually a prophet that went to the people of of Israel. And there are three aspects as we begin to look in this little Bible study in the book of Amos that's important because of the prophecy of Amos. I want you to look with me in the very first verse. Amos chapter number 1, verse number 1. Don't worry, there's nine chapters and I'm not going verse by verse. Don't worry. The words of Amos, chapter number one, verse number one, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the day of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he actually begins to date himself and he begins to do that. He began his prophecy in a time where Jeroboam had begun to reign in Israel and he was uh, uh, able to rebuild. He was able to, to do great things there financially for the people of Israel. He was able to take them to places where they were going. This is actually by the time Uzziah and Jeroboam had gotten together and had expanded Israel and Judah into such a way that it, it rivaled the days of David and Solomon in its greatness and in its ability to be able to go and and to rule. And as he's going through that, to be honest with you, he goes and he rules them and he brings them and he reigns them into a time of prosperity. But prosperity is not always good. He ruins them into this time of prosperity and to luxury and that, of course, sometimes... Not all the time, but sometimes will lead us into a life of indulgence and ultimately sin. 
And this is exactly what happened to the people of Israel. But then on the other side, in the southern kingdom of Judah, Uzziah had come together, on the other hand, reigned in Judah, uh, and he was one of the few good kings. One of the ones that God looked after and he said that he approved of what he was doing and the way that he was doing. And all that to say that Israel and Judah were at a high point of, of a political and a financial world. They were doing great when it looked to that way. But Israel and Judah were deep in sin. They were backslidden in such a way. But they thought that everything was okay because they, they had money. Things politically were going okay. Boy, I, I, see, I see great things and parallels in the America's history because we think that everything was okay or we think that in times that things were going okay, financially we're all right, we got money in the bank and politically we seem to be, we're not at war with anybody, we're, we're going to be doing okay, but then sin sets up. Why? Because the people of God seem to have a way of forsaking the church. Forsaking the way of God, forsaking a need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as long as I've got everything that I'm all right with and I don't need anything from you, Lord, why should I ask? I'm just preaching truth. I I hope you're not upset with me, but it'll be okay if you are. But the political climate that they had, that's the political climate that they were in. But then also there was a social climate that they had. And in the midst of as well, all the nations around them were in sin as well. See, Amos was well aware of all those nations. He, he even named them. He named Damascus, Gaza, Tyrus, Edom. He named Ammon. He named Moab. He was naming all of these uh, ones that were listed and proclaiming judgments in the first two chapters. He's saying judgments coming upon you. And I'll be honest with you, we get excited when we hear our enemies are going to have judgment upon them. Uh, Once again, when we think about Jonah, when you thought about Jonah, what did Jonah think? Good. I don't want the Ninevites to, to come to you. Let them have judgment all over them. I want judgment to fall upon them. But God didn't desire that. But here we are. We just can say, we're glad, boy, our enemies are going to go. But then Amos so slyly, begins to talk about some other folks. He says, well, Judah, you have some problems. And to be honest with you, people, he's proclaiming this to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they're probably thinking, well, Judah's okay because I don't live there. I don't have to worry about that. That's not me. That's not my family. I'll be okay. But then he goes to squarely into Israel begins to tell them about their sin. He uses a phrase several times in the first couple of chapters, this phrase that actually it indicates that their, their cup of iniquity, their sin is so much, it is so, so much that their cup of iniquity is full and it is overflowing at this point. That one is for three transgressions and for four. It's full and it can't take any more and now it's overflowing. Their sin is so much and it's disgusting God. But you say, well, why would that be? Well, then their religious climate. You say, uh, Brother Mike, what is their religious like? The issue too often is with wealth and prosperity bring about the lack of concern for the things of God. Just real simple. And the people of that time were outwardly religious. They went to church. They tithed. Word of God, and Amos is saying, they're giving money. 
The offerings are great. Church attendance is good. We're doing all of those religious activities that we are supposed to be doing. But then he says, but it's all vain. It's empty. You're doing it because you just want to make a show. You want to do that because you just want to make everybody think that you are okay. But deep down, remember when he told, uh, 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 in the Old Testament, God said that I don't look on the outside of man. Boy, I got my suit on, praise God. I even have a handkerchief, praise God, that even makes me look sharp, hallelujah. Now, if I lose about 30 pounds, I'll be able to button this jacket again someday, but hey. But if you, you say, I, I've got it all buttoned up, I'm all right, I look, I look good and I'm, I'm doing it. And on the outside, everybody, they see you, boy, they see you get out of your house and you walk to your car. Or if some of you that are real fancy got a garage, praise God. But you walk out to your car and you get in there on Sunday morning and your neighbors see you and you wave at them as they go, you go by them. And you may even wave your Bible at them and everything's going okay. And you go down the road and you wave at everybody, telling everybody the sweet Jesus and how wonderful things are. But really, truly, God sees in secret. What is your life really like? It's not that outward appearance that you have. And this is exactly what that religious climate that was uh, there. They were, uh, they were separating. They were trying to figure out how to do this. They had, ooh, they have figured out how to separate their religious life from their personal life. That is America right now. They have figured out that I can separate my religion from my personal life and my personal convictions and thoughts and beliefs don't have to line up with my religious thoughts and beliefs. And that is false. That is wrong. That is false doctrine. That is false teaching and preachers and teachers that tell you that you can feel one way in your personal life and live another way in your personal life and then uh, take another religious view of things, that is wrong. And they will give an account someday for what they have taught to these people. But the immorality is rampant. They're steeped in religious activity and their worship, though, is insincere. And the leaders are, are you ready for this? They're professional preachers. Teachers, speakers. This is during the same time of Hosea. This is during the same time as other prophets that could have gone and given this message, but the people were so used to hearing the professional prophets and how many of those professional prophets were living just as vile as they were living. And they were just putting on the good front. They really didn't care what those professional people had to say. But then comes along a man that was not a professional prophet. Then comes along a man that says that this is going to happen and this is what's going to happen. And he goes on and begins to start saying all of these things. I'll be honest with you. The times of, that we live in and the times that Amos was speaking about is a lot like the times when we find in 2 Timothy 3. It says having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And by the way, Paul says from such turn away. 
Don't have anything to do with them. And then you go on a little step further in 2 Timothy in chapter number 4. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, this is exactly what we live in, but this is exactly what was happening. Interestingly enough, Amos was used during a time that they looked to those professionals and and God was using Amos at this time, not a professional, but a professional in other ways. And that tells me a few things and, and it excites me because I'm one of those guys that was called to preach later on in life. I was already married. I was already had a child when I was called to preach. And, and now I know that God uh, can, can uh, I've known for a long time, but God can call you even when you you have another profession, when you are working in another way, it doesn't matter. God can use anybody He desires to use. God doesn't make any mistakes. And God can call at any time. So Amos poses a few questions and some of these uh, famous questions that you know, the verses, we'll go through those really quickly and then we'll get into the short message. Look at this. Amos poses a question in chapter number three, verse number three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Absolutely not. Y'all remember those old games that you used to play as a child and they would uh, wrap your leg around another person's leg and y'all had to put your arms around each other and you had to figure out how to walk step and step along with each other or God forbid you put somebody, two people in one of those big potato sacks. I wouldn't even be able to do that anymore. They don't, I'd have to sew two potato sacks together to get me in one of them things, praise the Lord. But... I mean, you think about, you had to get in step, you had to walk together, you had to move, you had to almost step and say one, two, three, and start counting and sit and help each other and to be able to do that. And God is telling us, we have to walk together. We can't serve two masters. We have to serve God and reject the other. We have to walk in step with what God has desired for us to walk in step with. Then he gives a startling statement when we look to the people of Israel in chapter number 4. He's talking about the judgment that he's about to go and, and to pose on these people. And in chapter number 4, verse number 12, he says, Thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God. And I'll be honest with you, we need to have a lot of people preparing to meet God. You say, well, why did he say this? Brother Ray, it's real simple because he said, The wicked shall die. So therefore, you will meet God. So as God reveals all of this to us and you go through and you see these, Amos is actually pleading to seek the Lord. In chapter number 5, he goes to them and he says, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Chapters number 5, verse number 4, 6, 8, 14. All of those are ones that he's saying, seek God. Seek the way that that the Lord is asking you to do. And then he gets into chapter number 6 and he begins to declare woes. At the end of chapter number 5 and the beginning of chapter number 6, he declares woes on those people that reject the Lord and reject God. In chapter number 6, he's pleading that the people would not be settled. Don't get settled. Don't get at ease and, and be excited about living in the world. Don't be comfortable in the world. Because some great things begin to happen. 
You want to see an overview? You see an overview really quickly of those chapters that you go through there. You can see a a declamation of those people that are going to have a judgment against them. You see a proclamation, chapter number 3 and 4. You see a declaration of things that are happening in 5 and 6. You see revelations in 7 through 9. And then you begin to see of a restoration at the end of chapter number 9. Glory to God that the people of Israel will and still are still the chosen people of God and will be restored Someday. But where I want to get to in chapter number 7 this evening, and I know I'm I'm, I'm trying to do quickly, but the visions of the grasshoppers, those locusts that are in chapter number 7, the very beginning. But then he begins to beg God, please don't do that. And then it says that God repents or he turns his way and he takes back that judgment. And then he says that there's a fire. A fire that's going to consume and he says, God, please don't do that. So God brings back, it says God repented, and then he comes back and he doesn't do that judgment. But then he says this, chapter number 7, verse number 7. Thus he showed me that, behold, the Lord stood upon a wall and made a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said unto Amos, What seest thou? And I said, Amos said, A plumb line. You notice that he begged God, don't do that. God was using and he was saying that there's a, because of this, I'm going to send the locusts, the grasshoppers. Because of this, I'm going to send the fire. But when he gets to chapter number 7, verse number 7, and he shows the plumb line, he doesn't make an accusation of the people, nor does Amos say, God, please don't do that. Because God simply takes this, and I, I've got this little... Illustration to maybe show you. This is an old-fashioned... How many of y'all even know what this is? The old-fashioned plumb line. Now, I can try to make this go in any direction that I want it to go, but it's always going to go back to the center. See, I can actually move it over here, and it's going to go back. Every time that you see it, it moves back and forth. It's dragging on the carpet right now. Praise God. Don't you love it when an illustration comes together? You have this every time. And no matter what I can do, I can try to make it go any way, form or fashion, but it's always going to go. And what God has said, what do you see? And Amos says, I see a plumb line. And he realizes... We're not worthy. He realizes we've missed the mark. There's no accusation of God. It's a simple illustration that he says, and he has a wall that's already made with that plumb line. How many of you have ever seen a brick mason start building a wall? He takes that plumb bob or that plumb line and he takes it and he runs it down and then those bricks are lined up and that that wall, as long as he stays with that line, he's going to be all right. And then the word of God, he's using this as this illustration that he's saying, now listen, as long as you stay with this line, you'll be okay. But Brother Joel, something happens to us when we start to look at that plumb line. For some reason, I can't, I can't be perfect. You, your children, although you think that they are perfect, 
But you're, I just saw a mother shake her head no. Oh, my heaven's mercy. You, you may think that your children are perfect, but we're not perfect. And that's exactly what he's saying. He didn't argue. He didn't begin to argue with God and say, but God, wait, wait a minute. But God, wait a minute. Because he knew that there was no way that we could match up. I want you to look. Boy, look at the station that the Lord has. The station of the Lord. Look at verse number 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. God is... The station that he is at is setting above that wall and he sees all, he knows all, and he happens to know what you have done all of your life and what you will do for the rest of your life. Why? Because the God that we serve is an omnipresent God. He's an omni, uh, omnipotent God. He is an omniscient God. He knows all. He is ever present with every one of us. And he's all powerful. And God is on his throne and he views everything from that place. So we cannot hide the fact that we have, uh, have you ever, have y'all ever tried to hang a picture, well, I know you guys have, hang a picture, your wife has got something, a picture that you want to, she wants it hung up in your, in her living room or somewhere, and then all of a sudden you say, looks good to me. Anybody else got in trouble? I can tell by the look that Sister Kathy's giving me right now. It'll be all right. Furthermore, have you ever hung a picture and you know you put a level on it and it is level, but the problem is, is when you look up, it don't look right because the ceiling... The ceiling is not level. And then you have to purposefully... Hang it sideways. One time, Brother Earl, brother, Sister Heather's had me something. She said, I want you to hang this picture. I want you to do it right, baby. And I said, absolutely. Have I ever done anything? And she said, mm, and I said, don't answer that. So, so she gets me and she gets that picture. And, and, and I'm not one of those guys that wants to hang two, you know, two nails and that sort of thing. I just want to put one, put it in the middle, and it'll be all right. You know, Hallelujah. Oh, Sister Kathy's still shaking her head at me. I'm just going to preach to this side over here tonight. And then uh, we're getting there and we're, we're making sure that everything's centered up. And, and I look at it and, and I, I, I think it's doing this great. And so I say, Heather, it's all good. No, I'm not going. She's looking at me bad again still. So, so I go through. I say, Heather, it's all ready. You just come and you inspect it. Everything look right. And she said, that's not right. It's crooked. I said, no, it's not. She said, yes, it is. I said, turn your head like I'm turning my head. It'll be fine. But that's not the plumb line that God tells us. He's telling us, I see everything. I know everything. And I know what what I'm expecting of you and the station from where I'm looking at, the observation that I have, the observation that I'm looking from, the eyes of the Lord are in every place and beholding the evil and the good, the book of Proverbs says, and the things that, that look good until you put a level on it or the things that you thought was all perfect and then all of a sudden God says, that's not right from what my position is. And Who are we to argue with God? But there's a great offer that he's given to us. In 2 Chronicles chapter number 16, he goes and he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them that whose heart is perfect 
toward him. You know what that's really truly meaning? Is it is those people that are going to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, place their faith in him, press their faith in God Almighty. He wants to show himself strong and he wants to provide a wonderful thing. Glory to God, we have a salvation from Jesus Christ. We have a salvation from God. Why? Because he's showing himself strong, strong to save, strong to give us everything that we need, strong to give us an everlasting life, give us an eternal life, strong to show us what we can have on the other side. We don't have to be able to be steeped in sin. We don't have to try to cover ourselves from those things that we know we are filthy from. Those filthy rags of righteousness and the things that we have tried to do. But Lord God Almighty has given us the opportunity and the offer that He says that if you'll just come to me, that if you'll just trust in me, if you'll just do what I have asked you to do. I don't, I'm not telling you to do any works. I'm not telling you to do anything specific other than just trust my Savior Jesus Christ Almighty for your salvation. Glory to God, the station that he has when he looks at us and he sees the blood of Christ. Guess what he says? Hallelujah. He says, I'm satisfied with that because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is what God can see when we place our faith in him. But then there's the standard, the standard, the standard right there. Look at verse number eight and I'm going to close really quickly. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said he, the, said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of the people. And I will not again pass by them anymore. The amazing part is the plumb line is used several times in the Bible. You go through in the book of uh, Isaiah in 28, Jeremiah 31, Zechariah chapter number 2, and Daniel chapter number 5. They use the illustrations of anything that is being weighed or lined up. And when I can tell you that this is whenever you see God beginning to set a weight or set a height or set a plumb line, judgment is about to fall. Because we are never going to be good enough. Not within ourselves. So when, when Amos sees the argument, he doesn't even argue. He sees the evidence is tr- completely against him. It's very clear. I said in, Je- in Daniel chapter number 5, uh, actually is used, tekel, uh, actually says, thou art weighed and balanced and thou art found wanting. You're not right. You're not pure. You're not making the mark. See, what I love about God's word is he doesn't give us a foggy picture and say, I hope you can figure it out from here. But he gives us a clear picture. He has set forth clearly the standard that is what it is to be. Romans chapter number three, verse number uh, chapter number three, verse number twenty-three. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I love that because it's an archery term, missing the mark. I, 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 I had a I got a bow, and I was going to go hunting with a bow. It was bad. <laughs> But I, was, I got a bow, and, and I figured out that they got me this, uh, this target, Brother Jim. And I was happy if I hit the thing, let alone the bullseye. But one time, Brother Kyle, I, I drew back. I did all the YouTube video things. I, I did what they told me to do, Brother Steve. I pulled back. I did my breathing right. I took that breath, I let that release go, and I saw 
the most beautiful shot. And the only time I ever hit the bullseye, it was luck. That's all I can figure. Or either angels doing it for me, one or the other. But you know what, Brother Michael? I still didn't hit the center of the bullseye. And that's what Jesus Christ is. And on the standard, he is the center. And if you don't hit the very center of that mark, if you do not hit the very perfection, you have not hit the mark that God requires. Christ is that one. I want to read a few verses to you out of Hebrews as we we begin to close. In Christ, Hebrews chapter number 9 says, In Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Glory to God. Verse number 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through your eternal spirit or the, the eternal spirit uh, himself without, offered himself without spot to God, without a spot. Hebrews 9, verse number 26, at the very end of it, he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why was he able to do that? Because he hit the mark. He was the standard that we could never compare ourselves to. I'll be honest with you, I'm not worthy of his blood. I'm not worthy of his sacrifice. But God loved me so much. God loved us so much. That he gave himself, hallelujah, for each and every one of us. For those people in Scotland that you're going to be going and ministering to. For those people that you go and you see at work tomorrow. For those people that you would see in a school time. For those people that you see at Walmart or to a grocery store or a gas station. Or those people at a fast food restaurant. God gave himself for every one of those people. And it is our job. Not to hold it to ourselves, but tell them that there is a standard that gets to get us into heaven. That is the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can in no way measure up. I'll never. Works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the washing, regeneration, the Holy Spirit of God. What are my righteous works? My righteous works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. But God takes the blood and covers. Hallelujah, I know, come on now. God takes his righteousness, the blood, and covers me and you. And he no longer sees you and your sin and everything that you are scarred with. But he sees the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ and declares you righteous before God. Thank God that he has given us the son Jesus Christ. We'll never be able to do that, but thank God he's given me the opportunity to trust in him. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that he has given me a chance. I hope you have accepted the chance of Jesus Christ as well. Let's stand all over the building. Heavenly Father.